Good to see you all here this morning. If you did not get a priest report card on your way in, make sure that you uh, hold your hand up. Usher will bring one over to you. We want to hear what your praise reports were for this week. We're enjoying this. I hope you notice on the, uh, on the um, internet, we are leaving the praise reports on the MP3. So if you miss them, you can go up there and you can listen to them. And, uh, and check them out. So they're up there, the audio part of it. So we're always making sure that they're on the mic. If you are, have a praise report, we, we're, we're switching over to the thing now. We're, we're, we've been doing this for a number of weeks. We want you to write them down. And that way, sometimes people think, well, it has to be a really big report if I'm going to get up there and say anything. So instead of having people get up there and say the, the praise report, we're just having you write them down and we're reading them all off. That's why we're doing it that way. Because it's a whole lot nicer reading off 20 praise reports than hearing one a month. Well, Amen. <laughs> you can turn your Bibles over to 1 Samuel, chapter 22. 1 Samuel, chapter 22, there was a story that was passed around on the internet for a while. It's about a little boy by the name of Billy. Billy is a young Jewish boy who was failing math in school. And his parents tried all kinds of things to help him out with his math problem, tried to get him some tutoring. They tried to move him into different types of classes to get the math to, be, to do better for him, but he just didn't seem to be getting the math. So finally, their last-ditch hope, they took him and they switched him to a Catholic school. And they put him in the Catholic school, and the young boy came home on his first day of school, and he went right up to his room and started studying his math. And they could barely bring him down for dinner. For dinner. But he, they forced him to come on down and eat, and right after he got finished eating dinner, he went right back up and hit the books on math. He did this every day. And they've got the first report card, and this young boy who was failing math all these times, all these years, brought home an A. So they were curious and said, what has caused the change? Why is it that you got an A in math here at the Catholic school? No matter what school we put you in, what tutoring we got you help with, nothing seemed to help you out. How is it that we put you in over here at this school and things to change, you're studying more? And he says, oh, he said, my first day there at school, I looked up at the front of the classroom and they had a man there nailed to a plus sign. And I knew they were serious about math. (laughs) Yeah, that'll bring out the best of you, won't it? Sometimes people that are failing at things in life are not failures at it. Sometimes we're seeing ourselves fail at certain things that we're trying to do for God or in life for ourselves. And we get the idea that we have failed at it, but we're just not quite hitting it the right way. We want to take a look at some folks who turned their life around and help someone else turn their life around as well. Before we read um, 1 Samuel... In Mark chapter 6, verse 38, you can read this right in your outline. I put it right there for you. I wanted you to see this. We've read over this verse before. But he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said, Five and two fish. How many loaves do you have? The words of Jesus, I want you to take note of this. He says, Go and see. Go and see. He didn't just want a rough idea of what they had. He wanted them to know, I, I, I need to know what, what do you have as far as bread is concerned. What do you got? Go and see. Go check it out. 
sometimes we have things available to us. We have things that are around us, but we are not aware of their value. We are not aware of how good they could be for us, what they could do for us. But the same word that Jesus said to his disciples is the same word we need to understand. Go and see. Go and see what is it that you have. 1 Samuel chapter 22. We look at David here. David therefore departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. Now this is a low point in David's life and the cave of Adullam is going to be a turning point for him. How many of you ever had a cave of Adullam in your own life where it's just a cave, it's just a place, there was nothing special about it, there was nothing historical about it, but you got there and you came to a realization of some things to change the rest of your life. And David did this here. He departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam and when his brothers and his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. Saul is on the hunt for David. Saul is trying to kill David. Saul is afraid of David. And it's really hit a, a height here. Well, none, of, none of it's being hidden. And David is on the run. He is on his own. He comes to the cave by himself. He escaped by himself. He had hardly anything with him. If you look in this chapter before, you're going to see that he had gone into a, uh, into a, a city. And he didn't even have food. He had him, himself there and one buddy didn't even have a sword and so he uh said i need a sword well the only one we have here is the the one that you took from goliath he says oh there's none like it i'll take that one and so now he's got a sword but he has nothing and he comes over to this cave and when his brothers and all his father's house heard it they went down down there to him now this is the big change for david remember we, we went over david and goliath and we looked at the relationship that David had with the rest of his family. He was kind of the outcast of the family. No one really wanted, saw any potential in him. Nobody saw anything really good out of him. His own father didn't even bring him up to meet the prophet and had to be asked by the prophet, don't you have another son? Well, yeah, you know, he's down with the sheep though. You, know, you don't really think that much of him. Uh, David would come home with stories and say, I killed a lion, I killed a bear, and his own family didn't even believe him. He would go around and he would tell other people because he was so happy if anyone would believe, hey, I killed a lion. I killed. Can you imagine killing a lion and killing a bear and no one believes you? That's just amazing. And so David lived under this all these years. His brothers despised him. When he went there to deliver cheese, what do they say? Who'd you leave those few sheep that you take care of? And now that David's on the run, things have turned around with him and his family. They see something different because he's been anointed to be king. And whether they did it out of uh, fear that maybe he will become king or maybe they saw something change, whatever it was, here it is, David's in distress and his family comes down to see him. A couple of his brothers are in the army. His family comes down to see him. And everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was discontented gathered to him, the three Ds. Isn't that great? I mean, you're down in the dumps. You're not feeling so good about yourself. You're escaping for your life. You have nothing at all. And who do you attract? Who does God send to you? Everyone who's in distress. Everyone who's in debt. <laughs> everyone who is discontented. That just doesn't sound good. This does not sound like to be a good group. How many have high hopes for this group of people right here? If you were a teacher in school and they say, we are going to give you everyone who's in distress 
And everyone who is discontented, we're going to put them in your class. What are you thinking? Dear Lord, <laughs> how long am I going to last? <laughs> this, is just, this is not going to go well. But not only that, everyone who is in debt, why are they in debt? Well, they don't have a job that's good enough to pay for what they have. They, don't, they must not have a, any kind of a great talent that they can use, that they can get paid for. Uh, something's going on to, w- with that. Everyone was in distress, everyone who was in debt, everyone who was discontented gathered to him. We're going to find out the number here was 400 people came and gathered. Now, think about this. You're David. The king wants you dead. The army is out to get you. And for some reason, 400 men who are distressed, discontented, and in debt come to find you. How many of you, if you were in David's shoes, are believing God for someone else? We're looking for some people who are not in debt, but have an abundance of money. We're looking for people who are not in distress. We're looking for people that are not discontented, but that uh, they have something to give here. That's not what, what comes. If David is thinking, boy, God is bringing some people to me, but look at them. I mean, what can they do? So he became captain over them. <laughs> The guy who is wanted by the, the state is a, a fugitive of the king. He becomes captain over them. There were about 400 men with him. Now, these guys probably think, hey, we got nothing to lose. We're in debt. We're in distress. All this sort of stuff's going on. Hmm. What possible good could these people be? Let's go in verse 3. Then David went from there to Mitzpah of Moab, and he said to the king of Moab, Please let my father and mother come here with you till I know what God will do for me. So he goes out of the country over to Moab, and he brings these guys, his, his parents because he knows if they're after me, they're going to try and get my parents. And so he takes them over to Moab that's outside of, this, of Saul's jurisdiction. He asked the king of Moab, Can you um, watch over them for me? Now, David... He may be on the run from king, but this is the guy who is known by the king of Israel. He is known by the king of Moab, and he's known by several of the kings of the Philistines. He's, he's pretty well known. Maybe not always in a good way, but he's pretty well known. But Moab, the king of Moab says, yeah, you can go ahead and do that. We'll leave him here. So he brought them before the king of Moab, and they dwelt with him in all the time that David was in the stronghold. Now a pro- the prophet Gad said to David, do not stay in the stronghold, depart and go to the land of Judah. So David departed and went into the forest of Harath. Now go into the land of Judah, that's where the king of Israel is. He says, go back into the land of Judah. How many of you are kind of questioning the wisdom of this prophet? I'm out of the country now, but he says they're going to come down here to the stronghold and get me. But go back into the country because that's what God says to do. So he does. When Saul heard that David and the men who were with him had been discovered, now Saul was staying in Gabeah under a tamarisk tree in Ramah with his spear in his hand and all his servants standing about him. And Saul said to his servants who stood with him, Hear now, you Benjamites. Will the son of Jesse give every one of you fields and vineyards and make you all captains of thousands and captains of hundreds? See, we think it's a new thing that the government giving stuff to people to get them to follow them. Is, it's not new. It went all the way back in here. Saul is saying, hey, who's going to give you stuff, me or David? Well, I guess you will. All right, then you better listen to me. (laughs) That's what he's basically saying to him. 
All of you have conspired against me, and there is no one who reveals to me that my son has made a covenant with the son of Jesse. And there is not one of you who is sorry for me or reveals to me that my son has stirred up my servant against me to lie in wait as it is this day. Then answered Doeg the Edomite, who was set over the servants of Saul, and said, I saw the son of Jesse going to Nob, to Abimelech the son of Ahitub. And he inquired of the Lord for him, gave him provisions, and gave him the sword of Goliath the Philistine. So the king sent to call Ahimelech the priest, the son of Ahitub. And all his father's house, the priests who were in Nob. And they came to the king, and Saul said, Here now, son Ahitub. And he answered, I am, here I am, my lord. And Saul said to him, Why have you conspired against me, you and the son of Jesse, in that you have given him bread and a sword, and have inquired of God for him, that he should rise against me, and to lie in wait as it is this day? So Abimelech answered the king and said, And who among all your servants is as faithful as David? And who is the king's son-in-law? Who goes at your bidding and is honorable in your house? Did I then begin to inquire of God for him? Far be it from me. Let not the king impute anything to his servant or to any in the house of my father. For your servant knew nothing of all this, little or much. So he's saying, if David's in a conspiracy, I don't know about it. And David didn't reveal it to me. David is the most faithful in all your house. He's your son-in-law. He's the guy that you send out to, to do things and God has prospered him. Why would I think anything about helping him? And the king said, you shall surely die, Abimelech, you and all your father's house. Then the king said to the guards who stood about him, turn and kill the priests of the Lord because their hand also is with David. And because they knew when he fled, he did not tell it to me. But the servants of the king would not lift their hands to strike the priests of the Lord. Well, good for them. They still feared God more than they did the king. And the king said to Doeg, You turn and kill the priest. So Doeg the Edomite turned and struck the priest and killed on that day 85 men who wore the linen ephod. Also Nob, the city of the priest, he struck with the edge of the sword both men and women, children and nursing infants, oxen and donkeys and sheep with the edge of the sword. So in Saul's paranoia here, priests are killed. How many of you have somebody like Doeg who's ever been in your life? Doeg is a mess for, for uh, David. He's, he's uh, this is somebody, and David even says later on, I saw him in the city and I knew he'd be up to no good. Have you ever had that with people? Just certain people you know are in your life and you can see something happen. Oh, I know they're going to turn this about. I know they're going to turn. Yeah, well, that's Doeg. Now, one of the sons of uh, Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub, named Abiathar, escaped and fled after David. And Abiathar told David that Saul had killed the Lord's priests. And David said to Abiathar, I knew that day when Doeg the Edomite was there that he would surely tell Saul, I have caused the death of all the persons of your father's house. Stay with me. Do not fear. For he who seeks my life seeks your life. But with me, you shall be safe. What a tough thing it is for David. Can you imagine because you went into the city, lied about your intentions that the priests paid with their lives? That'd be a hard thing for any of us to overcome. But he does. But he says to Abiathar, Stay with me, do not fear. Stay with me, do not fear. Now think about this for a minute. David is on the run from Saul. David arrived at the cave with nothing. David gained 400 men. What kind of men are they? Distressed, in debt, and discontented. So he is saying to this guy, look, the people who seek your life, they seek my life too. He says, but for who seeks my life, seeks your life. But with me, 
you shall be safe. How does David say this? He's got 400 men. Yes, the king has the army of Israel. The army of Israel. But with me, you shall be safe. He's got 400 men. They're not trained warriors that we know of. We just know that they're not the uh, highest class of society. They are not the most desirable people in the country. 400 of them came to, to David. I wonder if a flyer went out. Maybe, maybe Saul sent out a flyer. Everybody who's in distress, in debt, going over there and help David out. I don't know how they all came there. God led them there. But sometimes God has put things in our life and we don't see the value of it. A lot of times we don't even see that God sent them. But we're going to see that God did send these men to, to David. And that these men were very instrumental in David's life. Chapter 23, verse 1. Then they told David, saying, Look, the Philistines are fighting against Kila, and they are robbing the threshing floor. Therefore David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go and attack these Philistines? Now look at what David says. Very carefully look at this. David says, Shall I go and attack? What does David have to attack with? 400 discontented, in debt, distressed men. Nothing has changed. We have not had any training sessions. We haven't had boot camp. Nothing has gone on to train these guys up to make them into warriors. But David goes to God because he hears Israel is in trouble. A city of Israel is in trouble. The reason the city is in trouble is because of Saul. Saul has the army with him chasing David instead of protecting the borders. That's because he is being a poor king. It is a poor king. It is a poor leader who makes decisions that benefit himself over that of his country. And God is not with leaders who do this. Therefore, David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go and attack these Philistines? Now look what the Lord says. And the Lord said to David, Go and attack the Philistines and save Kyla. <laughs> David said, Shall I go and attack? God says, Yeah, go attack and save them. David didn't ask about saving them. I've got 400 distressed, discontented, in debt people. I'm, just, I'm willing to go and, and put up a fight. But David says, or God says to David, yeah, go, put up a fight, attack them, and save the city. Now understand that David is not just out to survive. Sometimes in our lives, we have just gotten to a point where we're trying to survive. David is, as we could think, David, just survive. Just get to the point where Saul dies and then you can be king. Just survive. But David's not out to just survive. David is out to do the, war, the Lord's work with whomever he has and wherever he is. He sees that Israel needs to be saved. And at the peril of his own life, decides to go and do it, even though the leader who has the army decides to do stuff that is selfishly motivated. And David says, no, we need to see the good of the country. I need to go and help these folks out. 
This is the thing that God has done for me. This is the thing that God has put for me. He has helped me in the area of warfare. So God says, go and attack and save. But David's men said to him, "Who? what men? The 400 distressed, in debt, discontented people. The 400 of them. So David's men said, so David comes out and says, this is what God said. So God says, we are to go and attack the Philistines and save the city. So here's the response from the men. Look, we are afraid here in Judah. <laughs> you had us leave the stronghold to come over here to Judah in the forest. You ever hear of any other band of uh, outlaws that was in the forest? wonder where they got the motivation for that movie from. <laughs> here you go, right here. David's men, 400 of them, discontented distressed, in-debt people. Who was it that joined up with Robin Hood? <laughs> Wasn't it the same kind of people? Yeah. What did Robin Hood do with those guys? He made them into a good fighting force, didn't he? One that the king had to contend with. What is it that the king did? Use the army and the resources of the kingdom for selfish ambition. Where do you think Robin Hood's story came from? I think it's somebody who read the Bible. Because David has his men where? In the forest. <laughs> They're in the forest, that's right. Look, we are afraid here in Judah. How much more than if we go to Kila against the armies of the Philistines? <laughs> so, so wait, David, hold on. We're here with you, and we'll help you out, you know, to survive but we're afraid just being here in the land of Judah. You want us to go to the city where the Philistines are attacking, which is going to attract the attention of Saul and the army, and you want us to go there and attack the Philistines. They're not on board with this. So they, say, they send David back for new plans. Then David inquired of the Lord. Once again, and the Lord answered him and said, Arise, go down to Kilah. And I will deliver the Philistines into your hand. So David comes back. Now, David's not afraid to go. David go by himself. But God sent me these 400 men. I got to do something with them. And they didn't want to go. So, you know, what am I supposed to do, God? Now, here's, there's a whole lot that's not written in this story. There's a whole, you can see it. There's a lot of stuff goes in on here. Look at verse 5. And David and his men went to Kilah and fought with the Philistines. How many know there's more to it than just that? How is it that these men that were in fear, these men who were discontented, distressed, and in debt, came under David, just had come under David, how is it that they trusted him, that he heard from God, that they would follow him into a battle they could take their very lives. What you are seeing in this verse is a change in these men. That they have realized we see integrity. And we are going to follow it. And even though we have not had that in our lives, we are going to pick up with what he has. And they pursue after that. And they go back and they go into battle and they struck them with a mighty blow. How many? 400 guys came after the army of the Philistines that attacked the city. How many of y'all know the Philistines don't attack the city with 400 guys? 
They attacked the city with a lot more than 400 people. Struck them with a mighty blow and took away their livestock. So here's what, we, here's what I want you to see that just changes a little bit. David and his men go and attack and save and plundered. <laughs> they got to take the livestock. They got to take the stuff that the army had. They knocked that army out. What an incredible change. What a, can you imagine being one of these guys, these, one of these 400 guys? You went into battle and you won. You defeated the army of the Philistines. Doing what? We just did what David said. How many of y'all know their confidence in David has great, greatly grown? Now it happened when Abiathar, the son of Ahimelech, fled to David at Kilah, that he went down with an ephod in his hand, and Saul was told that David had gone to Kilah. So Saul said, God has delivered him into my hand, for he has shut himself in by entering a town that has gates and bars. <laughs> That's all he's looking at. He doesn't care that the city got saved. He doesn't care that David came and helped him out because he's out doing something he shouldn't be doing. And David came in and bailed him. He doesn't care about any of that. Ah, oh, we got David right where we want him. Now it says that the ephod was brought because this is the way that they consulted God. Then Saul called all the people together for war to go down to Kilah to besiege David and his men. So the Philistines besieged the city, but now we're going to besiege the city. Can you imagine that? That you would take your own army to a city that you didn't defend against the Philistines and besiege it yourself because you won David? When David knew that Saul plotted evil against him, he said to Abiathar the priest, bring the ephod here. David said, O Lord God of Israel, your servant has certainly heard that Saul seeks to come to Kilah to destroy the city for my sake. Will the men of Kilah deliver me into his hand? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? O Lord God of Israel, I pray, tell your servant. And the Lord said, he will come down. So David seeks after God on this and says, look, I heard he's coming. We just came in here. We saved the city. We saved all their stuff. We saved all their people. Will this city turn me over? If you were in the city of Kilah, what would you do? So the Lord said, he's, he's coming down. Does God want Saul to come down and attack David? No. Does God want Saul to come down and attack a city of Israel? No. But he's going to do it. Everything that happens is not God's will. Nor does God want it. Then David said, Will the men of Kilah deliver me and my men... Already he's got them. These are my men. They're under my care. Will they deliver me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, they will deliver you. Can you imagine hearing those words? The people, you just came down. You had no reason. You had no stake in this fight at all. You just heard they were under attack and you came to help them out. And they will turn you over to the guy who didn't come and help them. They are betrayed even before it happens, they know that they will be betrayed. I had this in some notes from before when we looked at some betrayal things. So I put it back in your notes here for this. The character of the betrayer is revealed in his rationalizations. You ever been betrayed by somebody? You ever hear the ra them rationalize why they betrayed you? That will reveal the character of the one who has betrayed you. The character of the betrayed is revealed in his reaction. How do you react when someone has betrayed you? 
Rick Renner a number of years ago had this wonderful series out. I only had it on tape. I don't know. He's probably got it out digitally since then. But he said, how to respond when you receive the Judas kiss. Intriguing title. It's a very good, uh, very good series about betrayal and how to overcome some of that. But your character, as you are betrayed, is revealed in how you react. Look at how David reacts. Does he get angry at the, the people? He doesn't. That reveals his character. The character of the betrayer is revealed in the rationalization. Just listen to the reasons that they rationalize. What is it that they valued in the rationalizations? That will tell you their character. There's a story that the Great Wall of China, quite a uh, large structure, immense, costs a lot of money and materials and labor to build it. When it was finished, it said it, was, it appeared to be impregnable. But three times, the enemy breached it. Three times, the Great Wall of China was breached by the enemy. All three times, they did not breach it because they broke the wall. They breached it because they bribed the gatekeeper. We're going to have the greatest forces, the greatest uh, fortifications. But it's the integrity of men that can compromise things. Our integrity is huge. The character with which we stand for the things of God is incredibly important. Verse 13. So David and his men, about 600. How many did we have before? 400. So you start the battle out with 400 discontented, in debt, distressed men, and now you have what? 600. How do you gain people in a fight? Don't most battles end up with people dying? If you had 400, maybe you come out of there. If it's a good day, maybe you come out of there with 350 or something like that. But he's got 600. He gained. Interesting. Now he carries this number 600 for a while. 600. Uh, we don't know if they came from the city of Kyla. We don't know if more discontented, disgruntled people came on over and found them. But whatever it is, before the battle, he had 400. After the battle, he's got 600. So he comes to the city with 400 men. He leaves the city because they're going to betray him with 600. Verse, well, it's a, you can read the rest of this, the rest of this part of the, the story here. What I want you to take a look at is some of the people who joined David. Some of the people who came along. Some of the people who were in here for the, for the ride, as it is. In 2 Samuel, chapter 23, verse 8. These are the names of the mighty men who, whom David had. Josheb, Bathsheba, Bathshebeth. He actually goes by two different names. The Chronicles account will give him a different name. He was chief among the captains. He was called Adino the Esnite because he had killed 800 men at one time. In one battle, he killed 800 men. Now, I'm going to get a little graphic for you here. How many of you have been in the kitchen and cut up a chicken? Anybody done that? How many know it takes a little bit of work to cut up a chicken? How much work do you think it takes to cut up 800 people? Can you imagine the physical strength that you need. You're not using guns. You're not using stuff that blows up. You are using a sword. 
that you have to swing and swing and swing and swing. 800 people. Today we would call that the movies. But this actually happened. And he became David's number one guy. We only hear that he got this name because of one battle. In one battle, he killed 800 people. How many more battles was David in beside the one which he got his name from? How many battles do you think led up to the one where he got 800? This was, this is the guy who far exceeded the exploits of Rambo. And did it without any stuntmen or uh, special effects. After him was Eleazar, the son of uh, Doda, the Ahadite, one of three mighty men with David when they defiled the Philistines who were gathered there for battle, and the men of Israel had retreated. The men of Israel had retreated. He hadn't. He arose and attacked the Philistines until his hand was weary and his hand struck, stuck to the sword. He killed so many people. Another account actually renders it that you could not tell where his hand stopped and the sword started. And his hand was stuck. It was, it, he couldn't release it. It was just, it was all, like all, all one piece. <laughs> The Lord brought about a great victory that day and the people returned after him only to plunder. So get this picture. This guy, all the men of Israel retreat. These are David's men. These are not Saul's men. These are David's men. And the battle got so heated, his men retreated. And this guy says, we aren't losing this battle. And he takes it upon himself to make a stand against the Philistines and fights them and kills them all. And then the people look back and they see all the Philistines are dead, but our guy is still there. And so they come back and it says all they came back for was to plunder. Is that not staggering? After him was Shammah, the son of Agi, the Harite. The Philistines had gathered together into a troop where there was a piece of ground full of lentils and the people fled from the Philistines. So however they gathered in this troop, it caused fear into the, to the Israel army and they left. But he stationed himself in the middle of the field. What kind of defenses do you have in a field? There's no rocks in a field. There's no boulders. There's no trees. It is a field of lentils. You grow stuff there. It means he is out in the open. Just a field. Big field. No one else around him. Just him. And he says, come on, you got to get past me. (laughs) And he starts fighting. But he stationed himself in the middle of the field, defended it, and killed the Philistines. And the Lord brought about a great victory. So what was going to be a defeat turned around into a great victory because of one guy. 
These are David's top three guys. Number one, number two, and number three. Then three of the thirty chief men went down at harvest time and came to David at the cave of Adullam. And the troop of Philistines encamped at the valley of Rephaim. And David was there then in the stronghold. And the garrison of the Philistines was then in Bethlehem. And David said with longing, Oh, that someone would give me a drink of the water from the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. So the three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines, drew water from the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate, and took it and brought it to David. Nevertheless, he would not drink it, but poured it out on the Lord, poured it out to the Lord. And he said, Far be it from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Is this not the blood of the men who went in jeopardy of their lives? Therefore he would not drink it. These things were done by the three mighty men. So three guys broke through the enemy's line to get a little bit of water and to bring it back for David. That's how much they loved David. That's how much they saw character in him that they, uh, that they idolized. They said, oh, well, we'll, we'll go get this. We're not going to tell him what we're going to do because he would tell us not to go. <laughs> but we're going to go and do it and we're going to bring it on back. And they fully expected, because they weren't going on a suicide mission. It would do them no good if they died. They are going on the mission for the purpose of bringing water back for David. And they fully expected to be able to break through the garrison of the Philistines, get the water at the well. This is a very well-known well. They expected to sneak into the well, get the water, and get back. That is something else. Now, we don't know all the other exploits they did. This is just the, the things they did together. Now, Abishai, Abishai, the brother of Joab, the son of Zeruiah, and uh, whoever Zeruiah was, he apparently could raise some boys, warrior boys, because all three of them were something else. He was chief of another three. He lifted his spear against 300 men, killed them, and won a name among these three. So he didn't do it with a sword. He did it with a spear. I think that's harder. But that's what he had. He had a spear and he took a spear and killed 300 people with it. 300. One battle. He was not the most honored of three. <laughs> Therefore, he became their captain. However, he did not attain to the first three. Benaniah was the son of Jehoiada, the son of a valiant man from Kabzeel who had done many deeds. He had killed two lion-like heroes of Moab. He also had gone down and killed a lion in the midst of a pit on a snowy day. Now, it just kind of throws that out there, but a snowy day means there is snow on the sides of the pit. The lion is down in the pit. Why is the lion in the pit? On a snowy day. Probably because the lion can't get out. So what does he do? He's, in, he's probably not in any danger where he is. He goes down into the pit. Because he says, you know what? I haven't killed anything today. There's that lion down there. We don't have any battles on the, on the horizon. I'm going to get me a lion. And he drops himself down into the pit. Now, if the lion couldn't get out of the pit, what do you think his chances are? <laughs> he, he goes down into the pit. Come on, lion, let's go. You and me. And he kills the lion. 
And he killed an Egyptian, a spectacular man. The Egyptian had a spear in his hand, so he went down to him with a staff, wrested the spear out of the Egyptian's hand, and killed him with his own spear. Now, again, you've got to read into what's going on in this. He went down to him. If you have a spear, the best place you can be is at a lower level when they're coming on down to you. You use their thrust coming down and your thrust going up to knock them out. These things Benaniah, the son of Jehoiada, did and won a name among three mighty men. Now, this group of three, we don't know who the third one was. It doesn't really mention it here. He was more honored than the 30, but he did not attain to the first three. And David appointed him over his guard. Different places in the scripture tell us the exploits of these. I gave you the reference for the Chronicles 1 if you want to go and read them later on. The two lists do differ. This list that we have in Samuel is written later in Saul's reign than the one that's in Chronicles. Some of the people that were in the Chronicles list may have uh, uh, gone on to be with the Lord or uh, uh, maybe something happened to them. We don't know. But there is a little bit of difference between the two lists. There is a lot of similarities on the two lists. And if you count them all up, you're going to find out there's more than 30 people there. We're not sure if there's a couple of groups of three and then the group of 30 or how all that works. But whatever it is, David has got some men that knew how to fight. Where did they come from? Now, some of them, we knew that uh, uh, Abishai and his, his brothers, Joab, they, didn't, they probably weren't amongst the discontented that came to him. They might have been, but more than likely, they, they were probably not. Not all of the men that are in the list were in the original 400 or the original 600. But I'll tell you what, a bunch of them were. And what you're going to find out is that this group of 600 men that eventually he came to would go around and raid whole cities of Philistines and wipe out the cities they wipe every bit of them out. They were supposed to, Israel was supposed to have done that to the Philistines before, but they didn't. David would go in and he would pick a city and they would wipe the entire city out. They'd take all the plunder. And they were ridding Israel of their enemies with 600 men. They eventually started a thing where 400 of the men would go into battle and 200 of the men would stay with the stuff. And they started an ordinance in Israel that whoever went into battle shared the plunder were those who stayed with the stuff. They learned that the hard way because they had left their wives and their children and all their stuff behind and uh, some other band of raiders came by and took all their stuff. So they went over there and they got it all back. That was good. But they said, all right, from now on, we're not leaving them all by themselves. 200 of you guys will stay behind, 400 of us go. And for the longest time, David has 600 men. He encounters battles on a regular basis and still has 600 men. These guys that he has, the discontented, the in-debt people, they were made into some phenomenal fighters. If David looked around at that group and saw the 400 that came to him, he could easily have said, I have nothing. But remember the, the words of the Lord? Go and see what you have. Go and see what you have. There are some things, folks, that we have. There are some things that are in our possession. There are some things that God has given us. What kind of things has God given us? What kind of things are in our possessions? What kind of things are available to us that we are letting sit dormant? We're not doing anything with them. What kind of things are there? Have you ever had an idea come to you of something that you can do 
Maybe it was an idea for an invention. Maybe it was an idea for a different way to do something. Maybe it was an idea of how to do something differently. But an idea has come to your head. An idea of how to do what you do. An idea of something to write. An idea of something to record. An idea of something to paint. An idea of whatever it might be. An idea has come to you. And sometimes we think, ah, that's nothing. That's not anything. We have discounted the idea as nothing. And it may have been implanted by God. And God may have given us an idea. Here's something that you can do. This is something that will make you incredibly valuable. Ah, that's not anything. I can't really do that. And we discount the idea. We we discount the, the inspiration that God has put in our heads. Sometimes God has brought connections along our way. Sometimes God has brought people along our path. And we discount the connections. Or maybe sometimes God says, look, I want you to go over here. I don't want to go. I'm tired. I don't want to go. There's nobody there I like. I don't want to do that. And we don't go and we miss a connection. God had a connection for us. Remember that story I told you a long time ago? Guy who lost his job. When he lost his job, he said out of his mouth, God will give me a better job. God will give me a job that increases my salary. And I forget exactly what he was confessing as, as uh, money, but it was something close to either doubling his salary or whatever, whatever, whatever it was. And he, um, he just said that. And he went out and he still was looking for jobs. He still put in applications. And as he was going on by, he passed by a coffee shop and he just felt, I need to go in there and just get something to drink or eat or whatever. And so he walked on in there and he sat on down and he saw somebody he hadn't seen in a long time. The connection was made. And he said, oh, you're looking for a job. We happen to have an opening down where we're at. And he was making twice as much money as he was making before. There are some God connections that God wants to bring in your life. But you've got to be ready. If God says, I need you to get up and go, go over here, you need to get up and go. If you go into a group of people, you need to always be mindful. God has me here for a reason. God has me here for a reason. I need to to talk to people. I need to share with people. I need to speak to people. God has brought me here. It may not just be something that benefits you. Maybe it's something that benefits others. But as you are able to help others, God is then able to help you. So you go in there and you you find it. Father God, I'm here. What can I do? And you look for stuff to do. You, you, You listen for ideas. Always be listening for ideas. If God wakes you up, if you wake up in the middle of the night... And an idea comes in your head. Make the assumption that it's from God. And pursue it. Ah, it doesn't look like it's going to be anything. Not if you don't believe it. Not if you don't pursue it. God has given you an idea. He may give you an idea how to advertise the thing that you're trying to sell. There are some talents or abilities that maybe you have. And you keep telling yourself, I'm no good at that. I'm no good at that. I, I can't do that. Nah, I'm, I'm not very good at that. I, I don't, don't have that. I've told you this story before. It is one of my favorite stories I have ever come across in my entire life. I heard it way back in the 80s on a tape cassette, on a, on a non-Bible teaching series I purchased, one of the few non-Bible teaching series I ever purchased. I can still remember the guy's voice who did it. I heard the tapes a number of times. It was on time management. 
And this, he tells a story. I know you've heard me tell it before, but I'm going to tell it to you again just in case you've ever missed it. This is, this is one of those stories that changed my, my thinking in life. And there's this woman who had a job, and she peeled potatoes. Every day she peeled potatoes. She never thought she could get anywhere in life because all she did was peel potatoes, just made enough to get by, just made enough money to pay for what they needed, nothing extra. So she peeled potatoes every single day. She got word of a particular professor who was coming nearby, not in her town, but nearby. And so she decided, ah, I'm going to sacrifice, I'm going to give up lunch, I'm going to do whatever I can do, I'm going to save some money, I'm going to buy a train ticket, and I am going to go hear this professor. She saved up the money. By the time the professor was getting there, she had the money. She, she got the ticket. She got to the, the place. She listened to what he had to say, loved every word of it, ate it all up. And after the thing was over, she sat in her chair and she waited. She said, I just want to get an opportunity just to say hello. A crowd of people were up there at the front and they were saying, you know, their, their peace with him. And she waited until everybody else went away because she didn't value herself. She just peeled potatoes. And she went up to him and she said, Sir, it must be wonderful to have the opportunities that you have in life. I so enjoyed everything that you shared with us today. I so enjoyed the, the inspiration that you gave us. And the man looked at her. And of course, the person who told the story did this in a German accent, which I will not try and imitate because the guy was a German professor. And he said, And what opportunities do you have? And she said, I don't have any opportunities. I just peel potatoes. That's all I do every day. I just peel potatoes. I have no talents. I have no ability. I just peel potatoes. And so he began to ask her some questions about her peeling of the potatoes. And after a while, he he, kind of narrowed it down. He says, when you sit on the step and you peel the potatoes, what are your feet resting on? And she says, well, brick, the brick pathway is just brick. He says, I want you to do this. I want you to write me a letter about the brick. All right. Uh, No, no, you uh, you don't leave here until you promise that you will write me a letter about the brick. Okay, if you want that. So she... uh, Taught, went home and she told her people that she was around and about it and told them about the challenge that she had. And, well, are you going to write it? I don't know if I'm going to write it. I mean, what could I write about bricks? I mean, bricks are bricks, right? <laughs> What's the big deal? And uh, they eventually got on her and, and so they, they encouraged her. And so she went to the library after she got done peeling the potatoes and she started to pull out some books and do some research on bricks. She found out that not all bricks are the same. Some bricks are made out of different materials. Some bricks are baked. Some bricks, some bricks are not baked. Some bricks are done. To, and they found out all different ways that the bricks were made. And she started getting excited and was looking forward to going to the library every day after work. And she was reading more and more about bricks. And finally, she said, I need to get to write this letter. And so she started to write this letter. And it was a very long letter about bricks. And she sent it off to him and figured that would be the last she ever heard of it. A few months later, she got a letter back from the professor. Inside the letter was a check. He had her letter edited and published in a magazine. And it was a royalty check for the, for the letter. And so he told her about all this, all that he had done, and, and uh, 
He wrote at the bottom of the letter, he said, P.S., <clears throat> what is under the brick? She couldn't wait for the first time in her life. She could not wait to get home or get to work and look under the brick. So she pulls up the brick when she gets there and she looks underneath and there is a colony of ants. And so she ran on down to the library and she pulled out her books and she started reading about ants. She found out that not all ants are the same. She found out there are some little tiny ants and there are some big ants. There are some ants that are as big as your hand, but you wouldn't want them on your hand because they'd eat you. They're man-eating ants. They found out all kinds of the little tiny red ants, the big ants, all the different ones, ones that were dangerous, the ones that were not. They found out the good that they did, found out the bad that they did, found all these kind of things about the brick, about the, the ants. She put it all together and with the help of the professor, published a book on ants. She became one of the world's foremost authorities on ants and ended up traveling the world doing seminars on ants. The moral of the story was she was not a person without opportunity. She was a person who didn't direct their time. Her time was not valuable, but suddenly became valuable and she did something with it. God can put ideas, He can put inspiration. He has put inside of you talents that people will want. But you've got to believe that talent is there. You've got to believe that it's good, that it's worthwhile. He has put inside of you abilities that will far exceed those that are around you. You've got to understand, not only has God put abilities inside of every person, but with those that follow after Him, He will take whatever you put your hand to and cause it to be successful. He took an organizational ability inside of Joseph and caused him to soar to the top. He put an ability inside of Daniel and caused him to be put in charge of a kingdom when he was not even born into that kingdom. He was a foreigner to that kingdom. He gave him inspiration on what would come down to the end times. He took a guy by the name of Paul opened up the scriptures to him and in him was the ability and the talent that God had given to teach the word of God and unlock the mysteries of the kingdom. Philip was just going around doing, buying his own business when someone said, Philip, you need to be a deacon. And Philip became a deacon and eventually became an evangelist and eventually even traveled around the world without an airplane. God just moved him from place. God has given you wisdom and if you don't see it as wisdom, if you don't see it as something that comes from Him, you won't do anything with it. But God will give His people wisdom. God will cause you to be a problem solver. You can solve problems. You can face whatever dilemma you do at the workplace and you can be inspired to say, my God will give me the answer. You don't have to be afraid of it. You can be like Daniel and says, look, what's the problem? Well, the king wants to kill all the wise men because uh, they couldn't tell him the dream. Tell you what, I'll find out that. I'll, I'll let you know what it is. 
God wants to use his people. In order for that to happen, we got to see that what we have is valuable. What God has given us has value. We've got to see that. Maybe your deliverance has come. or Maybe it has not come. Because you haven't used what God has sent to you. For the woman who had the great debt, what did she have? A little oil. But God used it. You have things in your possession, but you don't see them as having any value. But God has given them to you. And you need to see their value before they become valuable. David had to see the value of 400 discontent, distressed, and in-debt men before they ever saw the value themselves. Their view of themselves, what do you mean we're going into battle? That all changed. And they became the premier fighting force of their day. By the time David takes the throne, becomes king over Israel, there is no country, there is no nation, there is no empire on the face of the earth that can stand before David and his army. None. Go in the history books and find out. There is no kingdom on the earth during David's reign that was more powerful than him. He was the prevailing force. And he started with what? 400 discontent, distressed, and in-debt people. We give God something to work with. He can do some things with it. But you've got to realize that God can work with it. You've got to realize that what I have, God has given me. If God has given it to me, it is valuable. It is up to me to seek after my God and to make what he gave me valuable. If you don't seek after God, if you don't pursue the thing that he gave you, it'll never become valuable. But it sure can be. It surely can be. What do you have? Go and see. What do you have? We need to go and see. Because we have something. We're waiting for the deliverance of God. And it may have already arrived. We just aren't using it. Would you all stand up with me? First Sunday of the month, this is our communion Sunday. This is our time to realize what money and their paycheck this week. It's always good to have extra finances. Amen. And this is a prayer. Oh, glad to hear this one. Daryl starts his new job tomorrow. Hey. Hallelujah. <laughs> I'm praying for that. Um, this is Ray's. He says the first week of, of multiple challenges at work with God's grace and wisdom, the hospital survived them all. And so did I. <laughs> That's in your new position, right? All right. Um, Joyce, thanking God for my husband's graduations. Um, I don't know what SPC stands for. Boot camp. Special, is that a private SPC? Okay. Yeah, I wasn't sure what that was. Um, and favoring us and showing us kindness at all times. God has been so very, very beautiful. Amen. He's getting, getting out of boot camp. 
Jolly, my supervisor called me to his office to inform me that he has put me in for three awards, a superior achiever, um, an on-the-spot on award, and a USDA award. Praise God for blessing. His blessings chasing me. Amen. <laughs> the Word of God says that his blessings will seek us out and overtake us, right? We just have to be on the lookout for him. Elizabeth says, praise God for his supernatural protection for my friend Marie in Ohio. On Friday, he caused her to be at lunch when two armed men came into the bank where she works and robbed it. Praise God. Mm. Uh, another one. I needed one more chaperone for a class trip to New York on, on Tuesday, and praise God, the last chaperone was signed up on Friday after school. Amen. Alyssa Nikolai says, We were immensely financially blessed this week, even, though, even through what could have been a very sad moment. So finances coming through. Hallelujah. Um, Susan, I needed a new computer monitor. My neighbor had a, a new monitor, but it was uh, too big for his space. I got a flat screen monitor, brand new, for $20. Mm -hmm. I don't even know. That's a blessing. <laughs> um, Chris Barnish says, last year my business was, um, was a struggle after getting back to work after my year-long illness. This year I've been blessed. Um, year to date, I have already brought in five new substantial clients. Praise God. This is substantial as I only handle approximately 100 clients and in the past Merrill Lynch rewarded us for bringing in only three in mm. one year so that's almost double hallelujah yeah. as I close an account a new prospect calls I have two more and I am currently working on yeah. praise God so God brings in business hallelujah who's this one unknown um, I was who's asked the last one that came in that's okay. Naz over there. I was asked um, on my new job on Friday what I could do to solve a particular problem. God gave me the wisdom to come up with an idea. It was good and implemented right away. This will now be documented in the company as a new policy. Hey. Praise God for Is the that wisdom. wisdom going on? Amen. See, so God, God handles all the little things. <laughs> Very good. Keep all those uh, crash reports coming in every week. Going out there and find something that God is doing. Come in here.